Welcome to episode 42 of The Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined, as always, by my host, co-host, Akash. Akash, what is up? What's up, KP? How are you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, so we are headed into what would be the second week of OTAs for the 49ers. But before we get into that and some of the other talking points, we're going to do some housekeeping at the top. So Ronald Blair signed with the New York Jets. He reunites with Robert Sala. And everybody had, you know, the quote how, you know, he just loves Ronald Blair and he always has. So best of luck to Ronald Blair real quick. Does he make the roster and does he have more than five sacks this year? Yes, I do think that Ronnie, as Robert Sala loves to call him all the time, uh, does make the roster. Uh, I saw he switched his number. He's he's rushing in the 50s now, 54, I think he's going to wear. So, why couldn't you wear 54 on the 49ers? Uh, yeah, I wonder why. Maybe a, maybe a linebacker. Uh, pretty good one, wears 54. But uh, yeah, no, I think Ronald Blair, change of scenery, but reuniting with his defensive coordinator, uh, I think the assistant defensive line coach, uh, Aaron Whitecotton, is also there in New York. So he has some familiar faces to be around. And I think the Jets' depth at edge wasn't particularly particularly great going into the draft. So I do think if Blair is healthy, he will be an impact player for them this season. Yeah, I'm hoping he's able to give them something because he was productive when he was healthy. It feels like a long ways away. But in 2019, when the 49ers you know, were at their top, were at their peak, uh, they had – like eight or nine good defensive linemen. So they were shuffling guys in and out. But even their um, their guys who were coming off the bench were still beating and winning against starters. So uh, hopefully that Blair, that version of Blair returns. I don't know if he does get to that number, five sacks, just because. That, that's yes. high. Um, but they, I imagine they're just going to be better because Carl Austin. But anyway, uh, that's enough about Ronnie Blair. Again, best of luck. Hopefully he balls out, stays healthy. All that good stuff. Mike Garofolo of NFL Network reported that the 49ers are working out with a familiar face tied in Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker did not play in 2020 after he opted out. Um, how many snaps has he played during the last three seasons of gosh? <laughs> so Kyle and I were going through his stats page before we hit record just to see what Delaney Walker's done these past three seasons. He has played uh, 232 snaps in the last three seasons. He played 39 in 2018. 193 in 2019 and zero in 2020. So, you know, half glass, you know, glass half full, he's probably going to be fresh because he just hasn't played much. Glass half empty, he just hasn't stayed on the field for health issues and he was a COVID opt-out and he's going to be 37 when the season starts. So, yeah, you know, two sides of the coin. You can look at it uh, any way you want. Yeah, which version of Delaney Walker are you going to remember? More than likely, if you're listening to this, it'll be all the great memories that you know, when he was in the Bay Area, when he was with the 49ers, when he was making catches down the field. So, yeah, super athlete. Who knows what he has left? And on one hand, you know, he might he might benefit just from having a year off from his body. But then on the other hand, you know, does his athletic skills diminish by not having played and all that good jazz? So who knows? Who knows what to expect? We know that the 49ers are in dire need of finding more help for George Kittle. And I, I imagine part of this would be, you know, if you want to take some workload off his plate, this ties into, you know, practice as well. So you don't want him to be taking all of the reps during practice, especially if, you know, you're working with he's primarily working with the starters. And there's going to be a day where, you know, he gets a Veterans Day rest or probably even, you know, a couple of times throughout the training camp and whatnot. So are you going to feel comfortable with Charlie Warner, Ross Dwelly lining up with the starters? If your answer is no, 
that's probably how we get to um, Delaney Walker. So we'll see if that comes of anything. That is not the only pass catcher the 49ers may add because finally, done, done, done. They got Jones. Jones. Yes, a wide receiver with the last name Jones is on the roster. So NFL Network's Tom Polisro said the 49ers signed wide receiver Andy Jones, who <laughs> dun, dun, dun. had 11 receptions for 80 yards in his NFL career. Um, he has not. He was an undrafted free agent uh, in 2016. He played with the Cowboys, Texans, Lions, and Dolphins, all of whom have stellar wide receiver cores. So I can certainly see how he did not stick with a team like the Lions. Um, I don't. He's. I mean, more than likely, he's just a camp body. That and that's just is what it is. Unless he turns out to be this super wide out that nobody has ever uncovered. But I don't. I don't know if there's anything to add to Andy Jones unless you have anything. Just just uh, shuffling deck chairs, I think. Uh, right. Can't body just someone else to work out, someone else to throw balls to, but I do not expect him to make the 53-man roster or the practice squad. All right, so June 1 is a big day in the NFL just because that's a lot of times when you know, you're know – when you sign – when you make a trade or when you sign a player starting on June 2, now you can push that money into future years as well. So uh, with June 1 happening, the 49ers were able to add an additional $1.1 million in cap space thanks to Weston Richburg officially retiring, which kind of takes us to our next point. Um, who else will the 49ers sign anybody else in? The first name that really comes to mind outside of, you know, the Julio Jones sweepstakes is what happens with Richard Sherman? So uh, the odds for Richard Sherman currently are plus 20, plus 225 to return to the Seahawks, plus 225 to go to the Raiders, plus 350 for the Saints and plus 450 for the 49ers. So how that comes out is if you were to lay a hundred dollars, that means you would win $450 if Richard Sherman were to return to San Francisco. Where do you think he ends up? And my follow-up to that would be, is he going to sign anytime soon? Right. So before I, before I answer your Richard Sherman question, just going back to Weston Richburg. Uh, so you are right. They save $1.1 million in 2021 uh, because of his retirement. Uh, but the real key is they save, I think, a little over $9 million in 2022. And that's massive because that's when all the extensions kick in. Like Eric Armstead's cap number is super high. George Kittle's cap number is super high. And I think they have $185 million tied up to just 34 players. So their cap situation in 2022 isn't great. Uh, obviously, that includes Jimmy Garoppolo. We expect him to not be on the roster and them to save that $26 million. But getting Richburg's $9 million off the books next season was huge. And so, you know, shout out to Richburg for a great career. And uh, we wish him the best. So back to Richard Sherman. Um, I, you know, following him on Instagram, you know that he lives up in the Pacific Northwest. He lives in Seattle. I think his wife has like a nail salon out in Renton, which is pretty close to me. Um, so I know he's in the area. His family's in the area. I think they lived here when Richard was playing down in the Bay. I think they would fly down for games or whatever, but I think they're based out of, you know, the Seattle area. So if I had to, you know, bet money on it, I would expect Richard Sherman to make a reunion with Pete Carroll and, and land back with the Seahawks. I just think at his age, at his stage of the at his stage of his career, where he's accomplished basically everything, it just makes sense to stay close to family, be in a familiar environment. He's played for the coach. He you know just knows the front office, knows the guys here. I think that just makes the most logical sense. 
Um, and hence why I think they're the favorite, the betting favorites, right? So if I had to put down money, I would think that Richard Sherman ends up with Seattle, uh, much to the delight of 49ers fans everywhere. But I, I just think that's, you know, that's what happens. I don't, I don't picture him, uh, playing for a system that he's not familiar with playing in a city that he hasn't already played in, like moving to NOLA to go play that. I just, I just don't picture that. Right. Yeah. That would be doing a lot just to move across country. And obviously these guys have done that all of their lives just as far as playing games, but to live there is another thing. And to do that for one, maybe, maybe two years would be a lot. So yeah, just calling it a career where he started with, you know, the place where he became popular, the place where he made a name for himself would make a lot of sense. So if that were to happen, the three starting cornerbacks for the Seahawks would be Richard Sherman, Akella Weatherspoon, and in the slot, it would be DJ Reed. Those would be their starters because right now on the outside, it's Witherspoon and it's Reed. So I imagine Reed would just kick inside if that were the case. Uh, that would make for some fun uh, pre-write-ups and just, you know, watching the game in general because uh, they know the 49ers inside and out. So real quick here, NBC Sports' Matt Mayoko said, uh, with Andy Jones coming onto the roster, he is hearing that the 49ers are going to cut tight end Daniel Helm, who we talked about just how, you know, he's probably not – you know, showing too well with the 49ers just looking at all these pass catchers and Josh Johnson, who is currently the fifth quarterback and what feels like on his fifth live with the 49ers. But don't you worry, Josh, you got uh, four more to go. We know you will be back. There is no doubt about that. So uh, we are going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about some potential free agents, probably another wide receiver with the last name Jones and the most overrated 49ers. All right, we are back, and with June 1 comes trades and also comes releases, which means signings and teams getting players on the other end of that trade. So let's talk about Julio Jones, who, I mean, the betting favorites in that one is all over the place. Sometime, one day it'll be the Titans, the next day it'll be the Seahawks. You will hear reports that the Ravens are interested, obviously the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. But, I mean, we've even, we've even seen the Rams, we've seen – um, I mean, just you name it. If they Seattle. need receiver help, yeah. If, if they need wide receiver help, they're probably interested. Uh, we have also seen, you know, some teams, you know, um, be quote unquote canceled out or out of the mix, out of the running for Julio. So we'll see. I imagine that trade will happen sooner than later, just because Atlanta has absolute zero leverage in that scenario e- anymore. Um, especially with Julio going on TV, which. Um, all but close the door on his reunion, I imagine. So my question to you is, would you rather have a, per, a player like uh, Stephon Gilmore or Zach Ertz than Julio Jones? Because obviously Julio is, going, is an elite player. He's a great player. He is a cyborg. He is 32 and he's going to cost fifteen over $15 million unless you get Atlanta to pay some of that money. Um, you're going to get Zach Ertz and Stephon Gilmore for cheaper. And there's a lot of where this comes down to. And also the compensation might not be as, as, you know, high. So what, what do you feel? How do you feel about that? If I had to just rank the positions where the 49ers could use the most help, I would go corner receiver, then maybe tight end just based off of the three names that you mentioned. So just based off of that, I would rather have Stefan Gilmore over Julio Jones. And I'd rather have Julio Jones over Zach Ertz. Um, just all thing, all other things being equal, right? Trade composition, uh, salary, all, all those type of things. Just player value to the 49ers. I think Stefan Gilmore would probably be the best addition, just given the fact that they're so thin at outside corner. Uh, I know they added two rookies there, but 
they're rookies. Do you expect them to immediately come in and contribute? It's going to be tough, especially just given given the expectations for them this season. And do, are you really banking on Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley on you know for being healthy for 17 games? Uh, you never want to bet against that, but if you just look at their history, right, um, you would bet that they're not there for the entire season. So adding a player like Gilmore, even if he's coming off of injury. I would personally rather do that than adding a player like Julio Jones, but uh, you can't go wrong with adding either player. I think Zach Ertz is the one that a lot of people talk about, but I just I would not touch Zach Ertz with a ten foot pole. How, how would you rank those three players? So when you when you just bring up Ertz, and when we talk about Julio, the perception of both of those players are a little off because you know they're both always on the injury report, so we have this you know idea that they're always missing games, but. That's not the case, and that hasn't been the case for Julio, aside from 2020. But with Ertz, so he before 2020, he only missed three games as well. So it just depends. I feel like a lot of people just, again, you see injury report thinking these guys are always gone. But uh, Ertz had 900, 916 yards receiving in 2019, and he had over 1,100 in 2018. And this guy is another player that actually scores touchdowns. The question I would have is, is he this tough, gritty, you know, stick your nose in there type of tight end that the 49ers seem to like? Or, you know, if if he's more not a finesse player. Yeah, if he is more of a softer kind of finesse player, which, you know, Dallas Goddard has a better reputation in Philly, even among their fans, and they think that he is the better version, the better tight end, um, because he's, you know, able to make those plays over the middle. I don't know. Obviously Zach Ertz is a great athlete and he's able to make plays, but um, I feel like he doesn't have this. He has a better or not as good of a reputation as Goddard on his own team. So how is that going to fly in San Francisco? And I don't know if the 49ers want to be a 12 personnel team because, you know, you're still going to have to give Ertz. I, th- I think it was like seven or eight million um, yep. off the top of my head. So, yeah, he's you're going to pay him. And if you're going to pay him that type of money, you want him to be on the field. And you're going if you're going to have that 12 personnel, those two tight ends. What do you do with Kyle Juszczyk now? Because that has been your quote-unquote chess move and how you dictate what the defense does. And Kyle Shannon said that's a big reason why he plays the fullback so much. So while the tight end and fullback you know, are different positions, it seems like with the 49ers adding juice, that was their way of adding a big-name tight end in the sense of urge. But Gilmore, man, he's a stud. He will continue to be a stud. I know 49ers fans think that he shut down – or. Greg Kittle or Greg Kittle? Greg Kittle. (laughs) My names are all over the place. George Kittle, Greg ESPN, shout out. Um, He owned him because of one route, but Gilmore stood him up a couple times at the line of scrimmage or at the top of his route as well. So uh, he had a a pretty good year. It just wasn't historically good as the past two seasons were. But, I mean, he's still 30, and he is going to – I think he can play for a couple more years just because he's never been a guy who really relies on – his athleticism in the same vein as Julio Jones. Yes, they're elite athletes, so they can win that way, but that's not how they win. So I would go Julio just because he's the best player on the list. Uh, Gilmore right after him. And then I would put Ertz in a distant third there. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but uh, I, I think I would rather have Gilmore in the since we're listing, you know, who would do what. I can count on Gilmore, I feel like, more than I can count on any cornerback on the 49ers roster. And Jason Red has been one of my favorite players for a long time just because of the way he plays. But to say that I can count on him in 2021, 
I feel like that's that's fool's gold, and I, I don't want to do that. And obviously, I'm not rooting against him, but I mean, history is history. So uh, I don't feel the same way with Steph Gilmore. So before this past year, again, which seems to be like, I mean, can we just put an asterisk next to it just because of all the things that happened? Um, so Gilmore missed five games this past season, but before that, with the, his previous two seasons with the Pats, did not miss a game, and he's been pretty, you know, reliable. When, he, when he's just been on the field in general. So, um, yeah, I go Gilmore, and I really, really like Gilmore just as far as what he would bring to the 49ers as well. Yeah, let's talk about Nate, Niner Nate, on Tuesday's show. Let's talk about some of the most underrated 49ers. I want to go in the opposite direction, as always. And, yeah, I want to talk about who is the most overrated 49er. So um, the easy one would just be to talk about the quarterback, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> is overrated because I, I don't think, think so. Most people rate him properly. There's just a small group of, I mean, 49ers fans, but at the other end, there's 49ers fans who can't stand Jimmy and want him to be cut like this very second. So I don't think he's overrated or underrated. I think he's, you know, pretty properly rated, but Akash, how do you, who would you call the most quote-unquote overrated 49 I do agree with you about James Garoppolo uh depending on who you talk to they obviously have a there's a wide spectrum of opinion on him so I just I, I wouldn't call him overrated or whatever so I went with wide receiver Debo Samuel as overrated uh just because I think 49ers fans especially view him as sort of an elite maybe like a 1b type receiver um, you know, when the talks of the Deshaun Watson trade uh, arose back in January, February, and the discussion of untouchable 49ers came up, I saw Debo Samuel mentioned a lot, you know, amongst Nick Bosa, George Kittle, Fred Warner, Brandon Ayuk, and then it'd be Debo Samuel. And I thought that was just a little too rich for my taste. Uh, do I think he's a good player? Yes. Do I think he's he's got all the toughness in the world? Yes. But, you know, he only had 33 catches this past season on 44 targets, has only four touchdowns in his career. Uh, last season, he had more yards after the catch than yards total. Uh, He's catching a ton of balls behind the line of scrimmage, which, you know, not may, may not be his fault. Might just be a product of the offense and their quarterback situation last season. But, you know, a lot of, you know, when he was drafted back in 2019, he was drafted ahead of A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. And in 2019, a lot of fans, myself included, uh, probably viewed him maybe not the clear third guy in that class, but somewhere maybe like a 2B, uh, clearly behind DK, but closer to A.J. Brown just because they play a very similar brand of football. But A.J. Brown clearly took a major leap this past season and has established himself as one of the better receivers in the game. And Debo Samuel kind of took a step back, in my opinion, with just the injuries and how he managed his body in the offseason. Just felt like... He came into the season kind of one step behind those guys, and those guys have just completely taken off, uh, and Debo Samuel regressed a little bit. So I would say he's the most overrated guy uh, on the team. Uh, I do still think he's a good player. Uh, hopefully has a you know re- resurgence this season and can prove me wrong. Uh, nothing would make me happier. But uh, of all the guys on the team, I think I went with uh, Debo Samuel. So now you're up. Yeah, so let's talk about Debo, and I'll give my take on Debo, actually. So um, their rookie year between him and A.J. Brown. So A.J. Brown, I mean, he just put up crazy numbers. He averaged like 20 yards of reception and scored eight touchdowns. But Debo was equally as important because he did a lot of that RPO stuff, 
And he also was like a deadly ball carrier. So he scored three touchdowns on the ground, uh, averaged 11 yards per carry, and was just a guy who always seemed like he averaged a first down, but he seemed like every time he touched the ball, it was either a first down or explosive play. And he was a he was a big play walking through the air. So what you wanted to see from A.J. Brown in year two happened. And as you mentioned, that really didn't happen with Debo Samuel. I really think that, I mean, I don't think he has great hands. And that's probably why I would be able to agree with you. So I talked about with this on the NFL SB Nation show, which is another podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, Probably unfair podcast. Yes, we talk. We're talking about wide receivers and just the young wide receivers in the NFL. When we talk about drop rate, and drop rate does not always matter if you have another trait that trumps your drops. So in Debo Samuel's case, his drop rate was through the roof as a rookie. It was eleven point four percent. So you want to be anywhere between like four. Anything under four percent would be lovely. Uh, that, as you know, eleven is greater than four, and that is not a good thing in Debo's case as far as the next year. So, again, he didn't have a lot of targets, but he did have an 8.3% drop rate. The The problem with that is he's not dropping ball. Like, his average depth of target isn't like he's he doesn't have these 50-50 balls where, you know, he's catching fade routes or he's throwing the ball down the field. Most of his stuff is within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, which I imagine that's one of the reasons you listed him here. But I just think he could do a lot better job of making those tough plays in – you know, contested quarters. Uh, he's great with the ball in his hands. He's amazing at breaking uh, breaking tackles, runs hard, gets first downs. I think in this sense, you want to see him develop as both a route runner, getting off press coverage. I don't want to see one clip against Seattle or one clip in the playoffs. I want to see this consistent and just being able to further himself as a receiver. And, and just speaking of consistent, that takes me to my player, which is linebacker Dre Greenlaw. And he is known for, you know, one of the greatest plays of the 2019 season and arguably the reason in that game alone why the 49ers were able to obtain the NFC West champion because the big hit at the goal. And he also had just a few big plays throughout that season. Um, what do you think Dre Greenlaw's highlight of 2020 was? Honestly, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, like that's what when we're talking about a player – most of the things are dated back to one or two plays, and that's what Dre Greenlaw is tied to. And in 2020, uh, his he went from allowing 64% of passes in coverage when he was targeted to be that's completed. Nuts. That number Joe jumped up to 75%, and he's allowing more yards per target. So he did not have an interception. Um, he also went from allowing 5.2 target yards per target to 6 yards per target. Uh, he went his broken tackle rate, which is, first of all, that stat is always thrown around. It's never accurate because no matter where you're getting these places from, uh, those numbers are subjective. So a missed tackle is not the same to everybody. But his numbers got worse in from 2019 to 2020. So he went from missing 6.3% of tackles to missing 10.5%. And I think that number is probably worse because his angles got worse. Uh, he just got worse as far as rushing the passer, getting um, – pressure, generating pressure, knocking the quarterback down. Like all his numbers dropped off dramatically. And when I say dramatically, I mean his hurry percentage was 14.3% in 2019 as a rookie. And that dropped to 3.8 uh, in 2020. But as a player, he is just not as aggressive as the guy playing next to him or the guy who he took over for. 
I think that's one of the biggest differences where Dre Greenlaw just kind of gets stuck in a rut where if he would just pull the trigger and be aggressive because he's a super athlete, he can really run, um, he would be a lot better. So that's what I'm looking for in 2021 to see him just play faster, play more confident, not second guess himself because a lot of the things that 49ers fans tend to grasp um, and tend to gravitate towards when you're thinking of Dre Greenlaw, we can't hold on to those two, three, four plays because there are plenty of opportunities for him to improve. So yeah, Dre Greenlaw is my guy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you brought up a lot of good points. Um, And for our day one listeners, which I hope is everybody, subscribe, rate, and review. We talked about this when Quan Alexander got traded uh, during this past season. We talked about, okay, can Dre Greenlaw come in and be a better player? And both of us kind of hesitated, I think, um, because we just thought Quan Alexander had this twitch, had this like reckless abandon for the position. And that's kind of just what you need at the linebacker position. Just be aggressive and just have that mentality. And Dre Greenlaw just doesn't just doesn't have that like it factor, uh, despite the fact that he's this athletic freak. Um, so I, I do hope that both Debo and Dre Greenlaw take a step forward this season. Um, it's vital. But I think in Greenlaw's case, he just gets overshadowed because the guy he plays next to is the best you know, linebacker in the game. And he does so much that we often just forget about Dre Greenlaw and Al Shire and, and the other linebackers on the roster. But uh, yeah, both, both good candidates for, for most overrated player. So one thing that people have I've seen thrown around is, well, he had a bad defensive line to play in front of him. Um, you can't say that for one linebacker and then come back and say the other linebacker is the best in the NFL. It doesn't work like that. It's okay to admit that this player needs to get better. And I think that is the case with Joe Greenlaw. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that, you know, he's the worst player on the, in the NFL or he's the worst player on the roster. He makes plays and he's a starter for a reason. But I just think that uh, he should he needs to make more plays compared to what he's being talked about. So uh, that should do it for us. Uh, Kosh, are you, anything coming up for you? Anything you're working on? Uh, yeah. So with uh, Vish Kumaran, who does some stuff on Twitter, I think he's been on one of the Niners Nation pods, I believe. Not ours, but maybe one of the other ones. We've gone back and we've started to watch every Trey Lance throw from 2019 and just charting out a bunch of different things about his accuracy, you know, where he typically throws on the field, what personnel groupings are most, you know, on the field with him, all that just fun stuff. And it also just gives us an opportunity to watch Lance and get to know him better. Um, And just during that process, you just watch Trey Lance and you could see why Kyle Shanahan loves him because a lot of his throws are just, I don't want to say first read, but they're just so simplistic and just uh, very good at operating the offense is, is how I'd put it. So look for that to drop maybe in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll do some type of spreadsheet or whatever, and then I'll write about it for Niners Nation. So that's been that's been the biggest thing. Yeah, looking forward to that. There should be a lot of info for us to get in our eyes on. So uh, that'll do it for us. Please, as always, rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars, wherever it is you get your podcast. Tune in next Wednesday to see if Dante Johnson has been released and re-signed by the 49ers for the 17th time.